It is a voice message extravaganza today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 464. Now that we're all finally back from the holidays and Hawaiian golf tournaments, Joe and Big Al are back behind the microphones to talk about tax gain harvesting on Dante in New York's daughter's custodial account and the tax impacts of Leon in Chicago investing in his brokerage account. The fellas also spitball on whether Michelle in San Diego, en route to San Francisco, should buy or rent in her 60s. The mega backdoor Roth and the pro rata rule for Sean and his cichlids in Winter Springs, Florida, and whether Jason in NOLA can do the backdoor after recharacterizing his contribution. Plus, should Kevin in Ohio make like Steve Miller and take the pension money and run? Can Scott in Colorado make like Johnny Paycheck and take his job and shove it when it's time for the rule of 55? And should Susie and Peter consider long-term care insurance and protecting their assets with an irrevocable trust? I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Happy New Year, everyone. We're back at it. Got a big laundry list here, 50 pages or so of emails that we'll bust through here in the next uh, few weeks, but let's get started here. Hey, Joe and Big Al, this is Dante from New York. I had a tax gains harvesting question. My daughter, who is 19 years old and is a college student in Illinois, was gifted highly appreciated Apple stock from her grandmother a couple of years ago. This is sitting in a custodial account at Schwab, and that account is in my daughter's name and social security number. This past year, she made about $8,000 in earned income, and the value of that Apple stock is $30,000 with a really low cost basis of around $2 per share. So what I'd like to do is sell all that Apple stock and then buy it back immediately in order to reset the cost basis. Since the amounts involved is under the $44,600 limit for individuals, my understanding is that the capital gains tax would be 0%. My concern is whether the capital gains will be reported under me as opposed to my daughter since it's in a custodial account. The account itself has some sort of designation that it is custodial until my daughter turns 21 years of age. So it's not clear to me, despite talking to multiple people at Schwab, as to whether my daughter needs to create a separate account and then move the Apple assets over before doing this or whether I can just do it while it's in its custodial account. One supervisor did tell me that if my daughter did create a separate account, I could then uh, write a letter um, basically asking them to simply move the assets over. But if these additional steps are not necessary, then I'd just rather avoid it. I did ask my tax person, and he thinks it should be fine doing this while it's in its custodial account, but I was just looking for a second opinion. Thanks again, and uh, let's see, I drive a 2014 BMW with over 200,000 miles on it, and I hope to hit the links with you guys sometime in the near future. Cool, Dante from New York. Right. Custodial account, Utma, Ugmas. Remember those? Yes, I do. People still use them, obviously. Yeah. So basically what these custodial accounts are is that an adult can kind of place trades and manage some stocks, bonds, mutual funds for a, a minor. There are some tax advantages in some of these accounts where you get like, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks tax-free, but then everything kind of flows through to the parent is what my, you know, it's been a while since I've seen these or opened them for that matter. But what what is your thought? Yeah, you're right on track. I'm not too worried about the custodial account. It's in the daughter's name and social security. That's not the problem. The problem is the kitty tax, right? And the kitty tax applies to all kids that are um, under 18, 
at year end now that his daughter's 19, but a full-time student between 19 and 23 still qualifies for the kitty tax unless, here's the caveat, unless the earned income of the student is no more than half of his or her support. So if daughter makes $8,000, then total support could be no more than 16000 right? Which is probably unlikely. So the kitty tax is the issue, not the custodial count. So then the reason for the kitty tax is for this exact reason. So parents, grandparents transfer assets to the kids, the kids, kids sell them. Right. Kids sell them to go to college and pay a much lower tax. No, they don't allow that. So uh, I, I would say that's the problem here is the kitty tax. And by the way, the kitty tax, the first $1,250 is taxed at zero. The second $1,250 is taxed at the kid's rate and everything else. All the additional gain is taxed at the parent's rate. Sorry, Donnie. I don't know. Well, if your CPA is going to do your taxes and he's like, yeah, I don't see a problem. <laughs> then maybe you're okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe on the return, it's going to be zero. But Yeah, we'll see I, if it sticks, right? Yeah, I don't think it will. All right, let's move to Chi-Town. Hello, this is Real Life Ninja. Do you remember me, Joe? I'm fully stocked up on magic dust and throwing stars. I've been training for the better part of two years, stalking corporate elevators, wearing all black all the time, and getting some strange looks from people in the street, probably because of my nunchucks. Only kidding, that guy was a clown. Uh, this is Leon from Chicago. Thank you for answering my question about the origins of YMYW at the end of 2023. Uh, now I'm back for more. I have a few questions about the tax impacts of investing in a brokerage account. I've been maxing out pre-tax 401k and 457b plans, as well as an HSA, to keep me inside but near the top of the 32% federal tax bracket each year, married filing jointly. I understand that the funds inside the brokerage account are taxable, but my questions pertain to how and when these taxes will affect me. I have begun a dollar-cost averaging approach with my new brokerage account, investing $3,000 monthly into a mix of low-cost mutual funds and a handful of individual stocks. If I buy and hold all of my mutual funds, do I pay capital gains tax on the growth this tax year or only when I sell the shares? If the fund is an index fund with a low turnover rate, will I pay less in taxes? In other words, do I pay capital gains taxes each year on the shares of individual company stocks that are sold by the fund manager or by whatever rebalancing algorithm a passive fund uses to buy and sell stocks within any given mutual fund. And what about dividends? If I have my account set to automatically reinvest any dividends by purchasing more of that stock or fund, do I still pay ordinary income tax rates this year on those dividends that I receive? I imagine that interest from taxable bonds will also be taxed at ordinary income tax rates, similar to interest received within a high yield savings account or a CD, but please correct me if that's wrong. One last question relating to this. Let's say one of my individual stocks flames out miserably in 2024, and I have a $5,000 loss. Can I sell it and tax loss harvest even if I only own the shares for six months, or do you have to own an equity for over one year to do this? Okay, a sincere thank you to Joe and Al for your weekly knowledge, sharing, and just the entertainment that you bring, and props to Andy for the awesome value you bring to the show. I mean this in the best possible way, guys, but your show desperately needed a woman's touch. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks, Leon. I, I agree with that, by the way. Oh, well, thank you, Al. So I kind of like it when um, they're reading their own questions. <laughs> yeah. I can take a break, but I zone out. 
I don't even know what question. <laughs> I was going to say, did you get any of no. that? <laughs> I think he wants to invest in a non-qualified account, and he desperately needs Andy. Yeah, that's all you got. <laughs> that's, that's, that's well, let got. me let me. Uh, most of this is tax, so let me kind of tackle this, Joe. So, uh, when it comes to uh, owning mutual funds, do I pay capital gains tax on the growth this year? The answer is no. Only when you sell the shares, at least for part of it. There's other parts we'll get to in a second. But the fact that the mutual fund, index fund, whatever goes up in value, you're not going to pay that capital gains tax until it goes up. Now, here's the exception, right? Is that mutual fund or index fund is buying and selling shares inside the fund. And that is that part is considered capital gains or sales. That's why you get capital gain dividends at year end, because these are the gains that the fund manager incurred by selling investments inside that fund, right, during the year. And it and you're and it's your share. You're a part owner of this fund. And so you have to pay capital gains taxes on that. That's called a capital gain dividend. That dividend actually goes on Schedule D. Schedule D is where you report capital gains. And on Schedule D, if you have a capital loss, if you sell a stock at a loss, as he mentioned, you can net that loss against that the capital gain dividend. So that does work. But the loss, I mean, it doesn't have to be a over a year loss. I mean, it could be no. three days. If you yeah, lost it, your shirt in three days, you sell it, that loss will, it's a short-term loss, but that will offset against long-term gains or short-term gains. Yeah, the way it works on the form is it offsets against short-term gains first, which is to your advantage because it's a short-term loss. If there's any other losses available still, then it goes against your capital gain dividends. So that's actually a pretty good result. When it comes to dividends, whether you reinvest or not, it's taxed at dividend rate, which mostly is qualified dividends. So mostly it's taxed at capital gains rates. So that's good news. You cannot offset your capital losses against capital gain dividends. I'm sorry, against regular dividends. You can against capital gain dividends. When it comes to interest, yeah, that's ordinary income, right? Unless it's municipal tax-free. So, so if Leon's going to invest a few thousand bucks a month, it's yeah. not going to be a huge deal until that $3,000 a month accumulates to a, a pretty good size balance as he's yeah. dollar cost averaging in. But on an index fund, it's going to be fairly minimal, Depending on what type of stocks that you buy, you know, if you're buying high dividend paying stocks, well, sure, you know, but so you just want to be tax efficient on what you're looking at when you start investing outside of the retirement accounts. Leon, I appreciate the kudos. Thank you, my friend. If you don't know what Leon was talking about with the ninja and the nunchucks, that's from a one star Apple Podcasts review of Your Money, Your Wealth from August of 2021. Joe loves reading those one stars, but really, all of your honest reviews and ratings for YMYW help new listeners find the show, which means that we get more diverse and nuanced questions like Nacho Wizard requested in his Apple Podcasts review just this week. Nacho, hopefully you like today's episode. It's all over the map in terms of topics. There are three things that you can do to help YMYW be the great show that it is. First is subscribing in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. Second is leaving those honest ratings and reviews or your likes and dislikes for us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Audible, CastBox, Good Pods, Pandora, Player FM, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Podknife, and Spotify. The third thing is telling your friends about YMYW. And finally, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, click Ask Joe and Big Al on air, and send in your money questions. All right, that was four things, but who's really counting? 
Hey, we got a lot of people that have been waiting, Alan, for their emails to be answered. It's yeah, we, right. We took a you know we took some holiday days off, and so now we're trying to get caught up. Now, Andy didn't infused a new rule. So if you leave a voicemail message, you get to the top of the I've literally the been saying that for a couple of years now, and people just finally took me up on it. Got it. <laughs> So we got, that's be, it's because we're getting behind. Maybe that's why. They're, exactly. They're, they're just backing up. For two years. It's like they already wrote us the question two months ago, and now they're going to call with it and read it so they can get it on the air. All right. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. I'm a repeat offender here. Michelle, I wrote in last fall. Thank you for your speedballing guidance. I would love your wisdom on a financial topic that indirectly affects retirement finances, whether to buy or rent. First off, I'm a dog lover, chocolate lover. I drink coffee, seltzer, and hard cider. Mm. I'm 67, single, no family, no debt. Oh boy. I have at this writing about 3.1 million in investable assets, cash and brokerage accounts in taxable IRA and Roth IRAs. I moved to San Diego and bought my current primary residence condo downtown in August 2020 for 9.30 in cash, which was a huge mistake uh, with the proceeds from the sale of my previous residence. Huge mistake. It turns out I'm not a fan of San Diego and I want to leave specifically to go to San Francisco. I've been visiting every two or three months for over a year now. Do not believe the doomsayers. It's really, in my opinion, a nice place to live especially if you're from Europe, as I am. On to the issue at hand, should I rent or buy? These, I realize these decisions are purely financial, but I'm interested in your speedballing on the financial aspect of the decision. Currently, my monthly housing costs are about $2,000. The HOA is 800 The property tax is 1000 and condo insurance is about 150 a month. I cannot deduct most of my property tax because I pay close to 10000 in state income tax and they capped that to 10000 the two combined since 2017. My current condo is estimated at $1.2, 1. $1.3 and I will sell it, not rent it. If I buy elsewhere, the comparable type of residence would be about a million one, between a million and a million one. And the HOA and the property tax in San Francisco would be essentially the same as it is here. The plan would be to buy, to put about 400000 down, borrow the rest, and invest the rest of the proceedings from the San Diego sale in uh, 60, 40 stocks and ETFs, bonds, stock and bond ETFs as the current assets are invested. If I were to rent instead for a comparable unit in San Francisco, the monthly rent would be between forty-five hundred and five thousand. Someone said recently to me that after sixty, you're supposed to rent, which I've never heard. I like the idea of owning because it allows you to make changes to the unit if you want, with the floor, the counters, etc. I also love the idea of a mortgage deduction. So, from a financial standpoint, what do you guys say about this? Thank you. Ooh. All right. Bad what do you think? Moving to Sandy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it was a huge mistake if you bought the home for 900000 selling it for $1.1 1. 1 or $1. 1.2. I think you did all right. Yeah, 
she just moved here a couple of years ago. Yeah, so, but be that as it may. So she's going to sell the place. Yeah. She, she made a couple, uh, couple hundred thousand dollars. So she rent. I mean, interest rates right now, what, six and a half percent or even higher? I, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, they're higher. I would buy because it's about the same cost. I mean, relatively, right? It's actually going to be more because she'll have a mortgage when she maybe didn't on the would other you one. But cash or would you or would you finance? I would. Pro that's a good question. I've already got in this case three point one million dollars. I might pay cash just because interest rates are so high. Exactly. Uh, and or if I finance, I'm okay with financing. But then as soon as the rates come down, or hopefully they come down, then I would refinance and have it be a better mortgage. So, Michelle, she's got $3.5 million. It sounds like she's doing pretty good. Great. Right. Her state taxes are over $10,000. So she might be still currently, is she currently working? I don't know. I mean, she's done a heck of a job of saving some money. She's single, no family, no debt, no whatever. Right. She moves to San Francisco. You know, you take a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage at you know six or seven percent. You know, it's thirty thousand in just in interest payments. It is. Well, that's the down payment, so the mortgage would be more than that. Oh, is that? Oh, she wants four hundred thousand dollars down. So yeah, right. Four hundred thousand dollar note. Yeah, it's a. It would be expensive. I, I, because the interest rates are so high, I might be because my home that I'm selling would cover the home that I'm buying. <laughs> and I I would probably be tempted to pay all cash, but if she wanted to finance, I'm okay with that. I would just look to refinance when interest rates come down. But I think buying versus selling, the costs are about the same. And the cool thing about buying is it's your place. You could do with it what you want to. You get the future appreciation. San Francisco will, is likely going to be an appreciating area. And furthermore, you lock in your payment, right, with the mortgage. It's not like rent that goes up every year right. for, exactly. for the next... 30 what, 20, years. 25 years, 30 years, whatever, right? So I would be buying in this scenario. Yeah. Her mortgage payment will be about $4,000 a year. So the rent is going to be forty five dollars to $5,000 if she has a $600,000 note at 6.5%. Yeah, 4000 a month, you said per year. I'm sorry, 4000 a month. Right. So the, the cost is pretty equivalent, but you're building equity. Uh, you could do what you want with the home. And then yeah. if she really likes the mortgage deduction, she could do that. But the, the arbitrage is the $600,000 that you have as a note that you're paying 6.5% to the bank to have that money. Do you think your 60-40 split of mutual funds is going to perform better than the interest rate that you're paying the bank? Because if you paid cash, you get a guaranteed 6.5% rate of return. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. When you think about it that way, you might be, I don't know, that'd be a bit of a gamble to to try to assume you're going to make six and a half. If she didn't have any liquidity, I would be like, yeah, maybe that makes sense. Right. But she's got three in a, three million bucks in, yeah, true. in, in liquid assets. So and, she, and she's got enough equity in her house to just put it into the next one. So it's not like she's going to touch it, right? Yeah. So... She, but reminds me of like a character from like a James Bond movie. Oh yeah, yeah, that Michelle. nice a accent. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, she seems like she, she could do some damage there. <laughs> but uh, she's, she's she's definitely doing some good work with her finances, and, and it's too bad that she doesn't like our hometown here in San Diego. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, San Diego, in my opinion, is great, but it's not for everybody. I suppose. All right, Michelle. Thanks so much for the email. Or the voicemail. Hey, Joe and Big Al. This is Sean from Winter Springs, Florida. My question is about the mega backdoor Roth. 
So my company allows for in-service distributions. So a couple of years ago, I rolled out all of my after-tax money. My company required me to roll out after-tax and also the gains from the after-tax, I believe. And I had to put some into a traditional IRA and then the remainder, which was a bulk of it, went into a Roth IRA. So I have $260,000 in the Roth and $96,000 in the traditional, which used to have nothing because I was doing the normal backdoor Roth, not the mega. My question for you is, now that I've accumulated additional after-tax money in my 401k, how or is there a way I can roll this out and put the additional money back into my Roth IRA? So doing a second mega backdoor Roth, and I understand now that I have a traditional Roth with 96K in it, I have to do something called the pro rata rule. So I'm hoping you guys can help me out. I drive a 2013 Toyota Tundra, and I have about, I don't know, 30 African cichlids, and my favorite beverage is water. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. The mega backdoor, the Megatron. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what is it, first of all? Like a couple of things is that let's first go. I like how he said a, a traditional Roth. I mean, Roth is well, uh, just scream Roth to on the rooftops. But now, <laughs> everyone, what's a traditional IRA? I only want to do Roth. All right. Yeah, so, yeah. IRAs, after tax dollars, they grow tax free. Roth 401ks, after tax dollars, they grow tax free. Roth IRAs, you have income limitations to put money into a Roth IRA. There is no income limitations to do a Roth conversion, only a contribution. So a conversion is taking money from a pre-tax account, paying the tax, and moving it into a tax-free account. So when we look at strategy, the backdoor Roth IRA is when you make too much money where you cannot directly make a contribution to a Roth IRA. So you make an after-tax contribution, you don't get the deduction, and you're able to convert that money and not pay any tax because you didn't receive a tax deduction. 401k plans now also have after-tax contributions that you can contribute to. So what he's doing is that he's going Roth IRA or if he's going pre-tax, but then he's also putting money into the after-tax component of the 401k. Those after-tax dollars, because they are not pre-tax or have never been taxed, you can move those into a Roth IRA without paying any tax because they've already been taxed. So then this whole mega backdoor, Megatron, whatever crazy name, backdoor, the barnyard, <laughs> the garage door, whatever. Right. So that's what that is, because you can put a lot more money into an after-tax component. However... There's a pro rata rule and the aggregation rule. So if you have IRAs, they're saying, all right, for you to do a backdoor Roth, you have to look at all of your IRAs in conjunction as a it's held as one. And if you have pre-tax dollars in an IRA, and if you convert any after-tax dollars, you have to combine the pre-tax dollars and do a pro rata calculation to determine what is going to be tax-free on the conversion. So when he did the after-tax dollars from his 401k, he had growth in those after-tax dollars. So I think he said he converted 260000 Right. 100000 or $96,000 of that was growth. 
So we did an in-service withdrawal to take the after-tax dollars out. What carried with them was the growth of those after-tax dollar contributions. So that $96,000 of growth is now in the IRA. The $260,000 of after-tax contributions went directly into the Roth. So now he wants to do another mega backdoor. So what he needs to look at is how often can he do the mega backdoor conversion? Because you want to do it right away. As soon as you do the after-tax, one pay period, the next pay period, can you move the money out and move it into the Roth? Because you're not going to have any growth at that point. Or yes. if he does it again, if it's in a 401k and this isn't an IRA, it doesn't matter. right? The after-tax will still go in the Roth, and then the growth of those after-tax will just go into the IRA. Yeah, so but, it depends upon the plan, right? The, right. So you, you got to look at the plan and see how often you can move it. And you're better off moving as soon as possible, Joe, just like you said, because like if you wait five years, then any growth that you have at that point will have to go into your IRA and will be taxed. But as soon as you get the Megatron into the Roth, any future growth from that point is tax-free. So that's the whole point of moving it as soon as you can. So if you're looking, what he needs to do now is try to get the $96,000 out of the IRA. If he wants to do backdoor Roth contributions, the mega backdoor, because it's coming from a 401k, take the after-tax, move it into the Roth, or take the after-tax and move it into the Roth provision in the 401k. Right. So there's multiple ways that he can kind of maneuver this thing around, but the $96,000 now that is sitting in an IRA is going to be subject to the pro rata rule if he wants to do a backdoor Roth IRA contribution. So he'll need to start converting that $96,000 out, or you just have to do the pro rata you know, calculation, which basically will tell you that maybe 10% of your you know, Roth backdoor Roth contribution conversion is going to be tax-free. Yeah, that's correct. Or I don't know why his company had him roll it out. Maybe there's a new 401k plan. Maybe the new 401k plan, if that's what it is, will allow the money to be transferred, the, the traditional IRA to be transferred back into the 401k. Then you don't have any problem. You can go back to the backdoor Ross. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know why I did an in-service instead of like an inner plan move. So I, I don't, yeah, but most plans will allow you to put money back into it because <laughs> they like to have your money in the plan, right? Yeah, take the $96,000 and move it back into the plan. Because then that would be like a pre-tax contribution. Now you don't have any money in an IRA. And then every time you have after-tax dollars that is accumulated, before they accumulate too much from growth, convert it out. Put it into the Roth. Right. Genius, Al. You're a genius. Yep. All right, Between the two of us. Hello, Joe, Big Al, and Andy. Love the show. <laughs> It's Kevin in Ohio, and I'd like to move to the front of the line. I'm a 55-year-old educator with a wife and three kids. Willow, Smalls, Bear, Wendy, Sugar, Buttercup, Ollie, and Lily. Those are my dogs, cats, and horses, and one of those names is my wife. I drive a 2009 F-150 cranking along at 220,000 miles. I like beer. To be in Bells Oberon and Great Lakes Oktoberfest. I have a three and a half million net worth with two million in real estate, including a home, a vacation property, and two rentals. And I have two million invested. My big question and burning question for you is I'd like to retire, wouldn't we all? 
in two years, I could get a $40,000 a year pension or the account value would be about $500,000. I'd like to take the money and run, a la the Steve Miller Band. What are your thoughts on taking the pension or taking the money and running? Thanks a lot. Love the show. Come on, take the money and run. <laughs> I love the accent. Well, <laughs> Joseph, I did a little math already. Kevin, 40000 Yeah, $40,000. $40, I just said 30 years, right? 7%. What's the present value of that? It's 496000 It's the same, same, right? Or if you go 35 years, it's 517000 I think it's the same either way. If you want to take the money and run, go for it. The only issue there is you have to be responsible for investing it. And if you're good with that, great. If you'd rather have someone do it for you, then maybe you take the pension. How old is he? 55. 55 and he wants to retire in a couple, couple of years? Couple, couple years, yeah. And you use 30 years? Yep. 57 to 87. Or I did 35. Either way, it's around 500,000. It's kind of the same. So if you want to look at an internal rate of return, so what I did is that I did a $40,000 payment for 30 years and future value of that's 500, brought it back, present value zero. And what is the internal rate of return? So in other words, what does Kevin need to do? It's either if he's going to live longer, the internal rate of return is a lot higher, but 30 years, let's say he'll be 60. So he lives until 90. Yeah. That seems pretty accurate. I got 7.1% internal rate of return. Yeah, that makes so sense. That's a pretty good rate of return because I think that's what you did too, right? You just looked at, yeah. all right, well, what's the present value if he, if he got 7% on it over 30 yep. years? That's right. That's why we're getting the same number because we use the same things in the 30 year. So, Kevin, if you think that you can do better than 7%, and you want the liquidity, then take the money and run. If you think that you're going to do less than 7% over 30 years and don't want to take the risk and you're happy with 7%, then take the pension. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. What would you do? Me? It depends if I had liquidity or not. Three million had... bucks. Oh, right? did he say that? He's got, yeah, he's got a couple million dollars in retirement accounts. He's got a Oh, yeah, you're right. A couple no, million dollars. Okay. Bitty, bear, sugar, buttercup. He's got all sorts of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I got it. I forgot that. I would probably take the pension because I like that rate of return and I already got $2 million. That's probably what I would do. How about you? Yeah, I think 40,000. I mean, 7% is pretty good. Yeah, right. Usually we see in pensions like this, it's probably four. Yeah, right. Enough. So seven is pretty rich, but there's risk. The you know how the company is it strong you know there's yeah. the PGC the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp but they're broke so if he wants to take the money and run just know that seven percent is the bridge it's like it's kind of like Michelle our last question yeah should I get a mortgage or not I like the liquidity or not but it's hey if you got a guaranteed six and a half percent rate of return that's what your mortgage payment is or I think Andy looked it up she's actually in studio here today. For the first time since 2020. Has it been that long? Yes. Holy buckets. It's good to see you. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, it yes. Didn't anyway, like I looked at the mortgage rate. It was 7.35%. There you go. All right. So that's the math. But then whatever your personal preference is. But you didn't answer the question. Would you take the pension or not? I don't know. 
I'm at 55, 57, I got a couple million dollars. I like to quit. I, 7% is pretty good. You know, I, I'm on the <laughs> fence. I'm on the fence. Um, yeah, it, it could go either way. But yeah, now me in my 60s, that, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, me in my 40s. <laughs> You're just hanging out by a fingernail. all right thanks kevin does your outdated tired set it and forget it financial plan need a complete money makeover assumptions you make about your finances can make or break your retirement lifestyle will it be bad or beautiful Kicking off season 10 of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show this week, Joe and Big Al show you how setting goals, revamping your portfolio, and doing a tax turnaround can give your retirement plan the financial facelift it needs. Watch YMYW TV and download the companion Money Makeover Guide for free from the podcast show notes. Once again, this is a limited time special offer on that guide, so get yours before this Friday. It probably won't be available again for several months. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go to the show notes, watch Complete Money Makeover, and download the special offer by this Friday. Know someone who would enjoy YMYW? Why not click share in the show notes and tell them about it? Let's get back to the emails, Joe. Now you have to read them. All right, here we go. Greetings, Joan Al, Susie and Peter here, 6773, respectively, live in San Diego, no kids, no pets, and enjoy good wine. I wonder if we should introduce them to Michelle. Maybe they can, <laughs> I think so. Maybe they can hang out and she'll stick around a little bit. We are <laughs> retired, basically. And I have a question regarding long-term care insurance. Some basics. We own eight properties. This will probably make Al cringe. Two of which are personal residences. Net worth approximately $7 million. Low side. Uh, of course, it's the low side. <laughs> <laughs> and yearly net income is about $200,000 after all expenses. I drive a 2018 Kia Nero. P-H-E-V? P-H-E-V. Plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Of, uh, look at How the, about that? That's the driver. Look at the big brain on that. <laughs> I just have a full electric with a Tesla. What does P-H-E-V mean? Like- Plug-in hybrid Electric vehicle. Okay. All right. And Peter drives a 1990 Miata. Or Miata. Is that a Miata? Miata. Like a small little. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. $7 million driving a Miata. That's awesome. Isn't that what they say about rich people? I think so. We are starting to travel and love to ski and snowshoe in the winter. Uh, Peter's still skiing easy black diamonds. Even with a hip replacement, we are getting older, yet are quite healthy for our ages. Good Is long-term you. care insurance something we should consider? Peter has a family history of stroke, and I have a family history of cancer. Neither of us suffer from any long-term ailments at this point. Smiley face. Yeah. Your thoughts about long-term care insurance, since you have some background now. What do you think about an irrevocable trust added to to our evocable trust to protect assets or is an LLC just as good to protect assets. Think I love your show. Suze, 7 million bucks on the low side there, big Al. Right. Uh, long-term care insurance. So a couple things and I'll, I'll spitball this and I'm sure you, this is a little bit closer to you than me. Right. Because it's long-term care. <laughs> long-term care. They don't necessarily need the insurance because they have a lot of cash so they could self-insure. But what I think they're looking for asset protection. So if they need care, long-term care insurance would be pennies on the dollar 
because you're basically leveraging the insurance company to help pay for that. So you pay $100,000 in premiums over your lifetime, and you probably get $500,000 of tax-free benefit. So I don't know. I, I think if they want to protect the assets to pass it to the next generation, I think long-term care insurance makes sense. It's super expensive. A lot of these companies don't necessarily want to insure it anymore because everyone uses that insurance. No one got rid of it. Right, life insurance—you only use it for—I mean, you only purchase it for a certain period of time. You're like, "Well, oh, I don't need this anymore." Right. Disability insurance, right? You pay premiums forever, and then you retire. Like, "Oh, I don't need that anymore." People bought long-term care insurance. Is like, I'm never giving this thing up because I know at some point I'm probably going to need this. Right. Yeah. So me personally, I would self-insure. But you're absolutely right, Joe. So if you pay a certain, if you need it, right? If you pay a certain amount of premiums, you it entitles you to a pool of money. It's not generally unlimited. So understand that you're paying premiums for a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, maybe five hundred. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's like two hundred dollars a day benefit for a certain period of time. Yeah, so so if it's like any insurance. If you need it, it's great. If you didn't need it, it's a waste of money. Now, in this case, they could go either way. If they want to protect their assets, it's a way to do that, right? On maybe pennies on a dollar if they think they're really going to need it. If they don't need it, they just, you know, just like any insurance, they just spent money on that. Well, they smoke shit. They're not going to need it. I don't think so. They're a beacon I mean, of health. Well, come he's, on. He's got a family history of cancer. He's got a family history of stroke. Oh, they're going to beat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going to they're going to beat the odds, right? With their lifestyle choices. For sure. So um, anyway, yeah, so I, you could go either way. I think as far as protecting assets, irrevocable trust, that just means you you take some assets outside of your state. You could do that, but then you don't have any control over those assets. And if you need them, you give them away. You gave them away. You don't have them, right? So be careful on that one. LLCs, yeah, if you want to be ultra safe, you use one LLC for each property. So if something goes wrong with a the property, then it's the judgment or lawsuits limited to that property unless you're negligent. I believe that's how it works. I'm not an attorney. That's my understanding. You can also get you know a lot of good liability insurance. And but that's that, not going to protect their assets from a long-term care stay. No, but if they're but if they're trying if they're just trying to protect their assets, like an asset protection. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So long-term care will, will the, the insurance will help protect their net worth in regards to a long-term care stay up to a certain dollar figure. An irrevocable trust, you're moving assets outside of your taxable estate into your non-taxable estate, but you're giving those to the irrevocable trust and you lose control. Yeah, irrevocable trust means it's irrevocable. You can't get it back. You can't say, okay, just kidding. I need that just asset kidding. back. Just yep. kidding. Or at least give me the income from that asset. No, you already gave it away. So just be careful on that one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some different strategies. Some estate planning attorney can probably come up with and charge you a bunch of money. But at a $7 million estate, I wouldn't get too crazy here. No, not needed right now. And even if the if we revert back to what the pre-Trump, and then we go back to $5 million exemption per person plus inflation, probably be at least $6 million per person. So that would be $12 million exemption per couple. I think they're okay, at least at the moment. Sure. We got, hi, Andy, Joe, big Al. Jason here, writing from NOLA, New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. Louisiana. New Orleans. <laughs> Love the show. Although, I've only been listening for about a year or so. I've learned quite a bit. 
Thanks for all you do. I'm 36, y'all. Not married. And we'll be filing H of H, little head of household. Oh, right. Jason. For the 2023 tax year with a child dependent, I've been contributing the maximum to my Roth IRA each year since 2020. In February of this year, I contributed the maximum amount of $6,500 to my Roth IRA. As the year progressed, I realized that my AGI would be above the normal limit of $153,000 a year due to an unexpected overtime hours throughout the year. I'm expected. <clears throat> I'm expecting a Maji of about 165,000. Upon realizing this, I contributed my. I contacted my IRA brokerage and recharacterized that contribution to a non-Roth IRA. Also, I contacted my 401k custodian. It was informed that I can only roll IRAs from previous employers into my 401k. So that option is off the table. I've already maxed out my 401k HSA in even limited purpose FSA. I'm not sure if there are any other legitimate ways to decrease my modified adjusted gross income in my situation. Can I roll this amount into my Roth IRA later this year? essentially doing the beloved backdoor Roth. Is that even possible considering I've already done the recharacterization? If no, how do I get this money out of the traditional IRA so that I don't have the pro rata? I learned that from you guys, by the way. Problems with future backdoor Roth conversions? I drive a 2014 Dodge Challenger RT with the 5.7 liter V8 Hemi. <laughs> We're gonna get very specific here now. We are right. It's not, drink... a v, it's not a V six. It's a V eight. Yeah. What was the PBHVC? <laughs> I don't drink much these days, but on occasion, I'll have a port wine with dinner. Again, thanks for all you do. Looking forward to the spitball. All right, Jason from Nola. So he did a Roth IRA contribution. Made too much money was over the income limits for the Roth IRA contributions and said, oh, so he recharacterized it, moved it into an IRA. Yeah, traditional IRA. But the guy makes $165,000 a year. He does not qualify for a tax deduction, so that IRA is a non-deductible IRA with basis that is sitting in that account. Correct, and so therefore... <laughs> You convert it. You convert it. That's known as a backdoor Roth. So you basically, that's available, right? Because you you couldn't go directly to a Roth. And the workaround, as long as you don't have other traditional IRAs, is to put money into a non-deductible IRA, which effectively you did, and then convert that to a Roth. And there's no tax because you got no tax deduction. That's what a backdoor Roth is. So you can use this one as your backdoor Roth. So go ahead and convert it. And you're all set to do the same thing next year. Yeah. Or you could even contribute, now that we're in 2024, you can make a contribution of an, well, he doesn't know what his income is, so he could go Roth again, or you could go traditional and then convert it. Yeah, you could just pretend whether you're over the limit or not, you could still do it back to a Roth, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> because he's over the limit to take the tax deduction. So, But this won't affect the pro rata rule unless he has other IRAs that he didn't share with us. So right. if this is his only IRA, there's basis in that IRA. You just convert it. and Or you do another non-deductible IRA, put it into the same account, and convert both of them. Yeah, I like that. Yep, right. perfect. 
Thank you very much. Andy, she's like right next to me, just like I'm directing. She, she's she's giving you hand signals, huh? Yeah, she's like, keep going. Hi, YMYW. You all have the best personal finance show out there. Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. I've listened to a whole slew of them since 2020. Slew. Whole slew. Yeah, that's all sounds like a lot. Sounds like a ton. Could you help me spit on my early retirement plan? Or otherwise, just tell me how you feel about it. When I'm not ski jorking, what the hell is that? I'm looking it up. Ski joring. Ski joring. What is a winter sport in which a person on skis is pulled by a horse or a dog or another animal? Oh, that looks badass. Or a motor vehicle. <laughs> ski joring. Ski joring. Wow. So Scott from Colorado, ski joring with my pit bull mix or sipping a little pina, pino, 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 noir, pino, pino, noir. I know. I would just say pino. <laughs> I'm riding. Oh boy. He's got a uh, motorcycle. Aparella <laughs> Tureg. Aprilia. <laughs> Through the beautiful Rocky Mountains of 52 and plan to retire Johnny Paycheck style. Didn't that take this job and shove it? Is that what Johnny Paycheck style is? I think so. I think you're right, Andy. Yep. When I turn 55 and use either the rule of 55, a 72T, or just my after-tax accounts to get me over the hump to age 59 and a half, my wife is a spry 40. We're both W-2 employees, and she plans to keep working for several years. We keep our finances separate, but we file jointly in a 32% tax bracket. Colorado State is 4.5%. By the year I turn 55, I plan to have $40,000 in my HSA, $140,000 in my Roth, $600,000 in a co-mingled traditional Roth 401k in a form, from a former employer, $80,000 in a non-qualified account. With my current employer, I plan to have $100,000 in my Roth-only 401k when I turn 55. My current 401k plan administrator said that I can get a distribution from the 401k via 1099-R when I turn 55 and leave service. I've searched and searched, but I can't find any guidance on the rule of 55 when it comes to 401ks that are 100% Roth. I started that 401k in 2023 but I've contributed to my Roth IRA for 10 plus years in case the five-year rule is in play here. So does that mean I could take the entire 401k as a distribution when I turn 55 and pay no taxes or penalties? Seems too good to be true. Scott, Colorado. (laughs) Man, ski joring. Yeah, you're still on that, aren't you? I am, I am. All right, couple things here. So he wants to retire at 55. First of all, doesn't he want to know if, if he can? <laughs> well, we're assuming he can because he didn't ask us that question. So that I wonder what he's what's he spending? Yeah, don't know. He's got three years. What's it? What's the total amount of assets he's got? He's got close to a million. Million bucks. All right. So that's like thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, three percent distribution at fifty five percent, thirty grand a year. If that's if that covers it, then great. If not. Now maybe he's got good social security, so he can do a little bit more than three percent. You know, I don't know. We don't know any of these things, but anyway, the rule of fifty-five. Go for it. it. 
When it comes to Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks, that five-year rule and the rule of 55, the five-year rule pertains to that plan, not other plans. So he'd have to have five years with that plan to be able to take all his money, right? And take his money and run. However, he's kind of missing the point. The point is you can always take out your contribution. Right. It's right? a, it's and, a distribution. And so, you have to look at it's FIFO distribution of like what's available first before you run into the five-year clock. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, exactly. So let's just say, I mean, the current one's 100,000, probably a lot of that's contribution, I'm guessing, or at least a good chunk of it. He could take yeah. that out with whether he's 55 or 52 or it doesn't matter when you take out your contribution. It doesn't matter what age. And then he's also got 140K in a Roth IRA. Probably a lot of that's contribution. It has basis, so you can take that out. And you take out your basis first and your earnings second. So there's probably plenty in here to make this work, I'm guessing. But the bigger question is, can he retire? And we don't have any details on that. So, Scott, how plan distributions work? So let's just talk about the rule of 55. If you separate from service at your current employer and you have a 401k at that employer, the rule to get money out of that plan is not 59 and a half. It's 55. As long as you separate from service at 55 or older. So you can take money from the plan and there is no penalty. So then, but his second question is like, well, wait a minute here. It's all Roth money. And I haven't had it for five years. This is five year rule pertain to me. Well, how the distribution works is that first contributions come out and then earnings come out after that. So if all of that is contributions, well, yeah, then you could probably take almost all of that out. But the earnings have to season inside the Roth for five years or 59 and a half, whichever is longer. Or you can roll that into the Roth IRA because you've already had that for 10 years. So that already qualifies for the five-year clock. That's a good point. Yep. But the chances are he's not going to, I mean, all he would need is contributions anyway, so he wouldn't even get into it. Right, because I wouldn't take out any more than thirty or forty thousand dollars a year here. Yeah, particularly you get it, it was hard to get money into a Roth. You kind of want to not take out any if you can, or at least the the lowest amount possible. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I think Scott just got to dive in maybe a little. I get it, man. Take the money and run. Get the hell out of there and go ski joring and have some Pinot. Is he the Pinot guy? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with him. I want to get out of here 50. <laughs> Just which, is very, which is very soon as we've established. This is the last show. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, but I'm not ready. You get, you got to do some planning. You got to figure this stuff out. But from just a rules perspective, you're fine. But I think from a numbers perspective, we would need a little bit more information to kind of spitball to say, hey, can you really do this or not? So, But ski joining, love it. Yeah, me personally, Joe, I would probably try to keep the money in the Roth. If all I needed was thirty thousand, I'd get a part-time job and yeah. better quality of life, work less, yeah. you know, whatever. Get people rides on your motorcycle. Yeah, or charge for ski joring. <laughs> get ski joring lessons. How much would you pay for that, Joe? Uh, Thirty grand. Probably, probably a lot. <laughs> I'm going to Colorado. <laughs> Got this guy Jack. Tell right. me, 
All right. All right. Yeah, that's it for us. Thanks, Scott, for a wonderful question. Good luck with all of that. Uh, we got to get the heck out of here. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll see you next week for Big Al Clopine. Andy Last, I'm Joe Anderson. Thanks so much. Joe domesticating himself away from downtown San Diego. Cichlids, Al snowshoeing into long-term care, and Joe approaching 50. Joe ski-joring back to his Norwegian roots, Pinot Noir, and the Aprilia Tuareg in the T-Rails at the end of the episode, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 and schedule a free financial assessment in person at one of our many offices around the country or online at a date and time convenient for you no matter where you are. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies that will help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Um, well, downtown, I mean, I don't know, downtown's changed a little bit, I guess. It, it has. You used to live down there and you loved it for a while, right? Yes. A decade or so. <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah. Why did you move? Why did I move? Yeah. I domesticated myself. Aha, got it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you were anticipating uh, family, right? Oh. Moved out to the suburbs. I lived right next door to, you know, 400 bars <laughs> and restaurants. <laughs> That's it's a good back in the day. Sure. But now it's dance class and... <laughs> and now you have to get You're in the car. You're taking Change of diapers. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Remember this guy, the cichlids? No. He's into the fish. He got he's got the exotic fish. Cichlids. Yep. Cichlids. I needed help on that one. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, good thing he read that. that was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you said? Chickilids. Chickilids. Now I could see you snowshoe. I would absolutely would rather do so many other things than a snowshoe, but I've never actually snowshoed, but I could see myself doing it too. Isn't that just trudging through the snow on weird tennis? Yeah, tennis bracket. Bra- tennis bracket. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. tennis bracket. That's why he thinks I could do that because I love to hike and torture myself. Yeah. This is a little bit closer to you than me. Right. Because it's long term care. Yeah. I mean, because I'm older. I'm closer almost, in age. You're almost right there. You're like one foot into the nursing home, brother. <laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, uh, compared to you turning 50, uh, yeah. I am miles and miles away. So, <laughs> 50 is so long for me. For me. Um, months and months. How many, how many months? months? It's, it's uh, less than six. That, wow. <laughs> if we're being accurate. Careful. <laughs> it's uh, not that bad, I promise. I, I already said it. Ski joring. Yeah, we should. I'll, you could do that while I do the snowshoeing. Yeah, you snowshoe. I always ski jor. It's a Norwegian word that means ski driving. That's, well, I'm Norwegian. Get, get back to my roots. That's right. I want to do it behind a horse. I would too if I was doing it. Oh, Pino. Pino Noir. I know. I would just say Pino. Yeah, yeah you could say Pino that too. too. You know, I'll have a Pino. Everyone knows what that means. Noir. You can tell I drink a lot of wine. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Good yeah, boy. He's got a uh, motorcycle. <laughs> Aprilia Tureg. Aprilia. 
Maybe that's Norwegian. Norwegian too. Yeah, sure. I think it's Italian. Yeah, it sounds Italiana. Yeah. <laughs>